0: Does anyone else have trouble falling asleep, like laying down at night and getting yourself to bed uh, or even getting in bed? I, I was up the other night and I was hanging out with one of my friends, uh, chatting with her and her husband. And uh, it was after young adults and uh, it was a rather late moment at night and they knew that I had been up late the night before and I have young kids. And she said to me, uh, Dan, you should get some sleep. And I was like, yeah, I'll go to bed soon. And she looked at me and she said, I don't believe you. And I said too bad. I get to do what I want. right? She's she's looking at me and she says, Dan, go to sleep. You need to get some sleep. And I remember in spite of my track record of not going to sleep, feeling a little bit judged at this because here I was talking with my friends late at night and they're telling me to go to sleep. But I know from past experience that her and her husband have stayed up too late hanging out, being on their computers and woken up to regrettable feelings the next day. So what right did she have to sit there and tell me to go to bed? Mind your own business, Stan and Elise. Gosh. And yet, you know, I, I appreciate that, that she cared enough, that they cared enough to, you know, question my well being. They have a vested interest that I parent my kids with a sane mind in the morning. Cause they like my children. And that as a pastor at our church, I don't do things as a sleep deprived person, right? They care. Uh, and so I, I, as much as I was frustrated, I appreciate the question. Now, if I were to put that question instead to, I don't know, some of our high schoolers on a Saturday night, you know, knock on the door and say, hello, Kira, it's uh, 10 o'clock. I know you're hanging out with your friends, but uh sleep is important. So nighty night. Do you think I'd be met with a, a friendly? Thank you, Pastor Dan. That's so helpful. I will go to bed immediately and get some rest. So I am prepped for Sunday morning. Or would I be met with, mind your own business, Pastor Dan, slam. She'd have every right to do that. And yet it would be even worse if I went up to our beloved sound man in the back and I said, uh, it's getting late in the evening, so make sure after studio church tonight, you go to bed. Uh, when he works the night shift, and that would mean he misses his job and he gets fired and then he has nowhere to work and then he gets angry with me. He would have every right to be mad and upset and angry and be like, Dan, you don't know what you're talking about. Mind your own business. And I'd be like, but circadian rhythms. And you know, it is what it is. See, the fact is each of those moments is a judgment call and each one has a different effect. And judgment is this topic, judging, that is common when we're talking about Christians. And unfortunately, the words of Jesus get tossed around a lot when it comes to this. Whenever you say something that could be remotely judgmental, you hear, Judge not, that ye not be judged. For with the judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with that measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And I like the KJV here because it just feels more judgmental, you know? You just feel it. Or even in John chapter 8, where it's often quoted where Jesus says, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. These are the kind of verses that are sent at Christians all the time when we say something that could be remotely judgmental. Has anyone ever experienced this? Okay, I saw a lot of nods there. And there are a lot of times we're told not to judge. Jesus also talks about, hey, take the log out of your own eye before taking the speck out of your brother's eye. There's a lot of language about not judging others. And yet somehow Christians have garnered this reputation of being judgmental, of being finger pointy or self-righteous. And yet, on the other hand, if you've read your Bible, you know that we're told to judge about all kinds of things, that we as Christians have a responsibility to make some judgments. I mean, the book of Proverbs says, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. The book of Leviticus, which was teaching God's people how to live, says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. And the words of the New Testament continue along this line, where we are called to judge some things. We are called to call out injustice and hypocrisy, and it can be just as problematic as the finger-pointing and the self-righteousness if we neglect one side or the other. So, in my, uh, in my paraphrase of this sermon online, I said, do not judge, except when you should judge. Then do judge. Sermon over. So, well done everybody. Message, that was it for today. Enjoy. But the, but the real question is, how do we do this, right? Because we don't want to end up in one camp or the other. There's some valid points on either side. What is the way of Jesus and the way of the cross that's in the middle? You see, we're in this series called Dear Suburban Church, where we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, a letter written in the first century that could easily have been written to us here today. We're asking, how does this apply to us? What can we take from this letter and put into practice today as God's church in Shoreview? And Paul, in this letter, addresses the Corinthians, and throughout it, he calls them out. He judges them time and time again for their bad behavior or their bad theology. In fact, this whole letter could be summarized as Paul chiding the Corinthians for their inappropriate actions and behavior. As Pastor Chris has shown us in this series, in the places that we've already come, Paul reminds the Corinthians that they have divisions among them that have to be dealt with. He encourages them that we are not to be divided over who we follow, but instead that we should be united under the gospel and divide only where The scriptures and God tell us to divide. And the problem, as I've already identified, is that too often Christians are noted by our divisions over other things, over our finger pointing and self-righteousness and judgment by the outside world. And we not so eloquently ruin our message to them and fight amongst ourselves without doing what we were supposed to do, which is spreading the gospel. Paul says these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any other human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness." and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation, or commendation, excuse me, from God. See, Paul in this moment highlights that he's not here to please others. He's not doing what he's doing for the Corinthian church to say, great job, Paul, we love you and we're proud of you. Instead, he's trying to live up to what God calls him to do. And in this verse, he even highlights that it's not his own conscience that makes him Passing the test, that's good judgment. He says it's only God that can pass that final judgment. And yet this whole book is about him holding people accountable, about judging the actions of the Corinthian church. And so Paul highlights in these verses in first Corinthians, the challenge of we can't live our lives based on the judgment of others and we are called to live up to the gospel of Christ. We are called to live a certain way. As followers of Jesus, if you're a note taker, this is the one I want you to write down. This is the thesis for this whole topic this morning. It's this. We are called to identify hypocrisy and harm, to live out the gospel, and to hold one another accountable as brothers and sisters. We are called to judge. The title of this message is, uh, you don't have the right to. Because that's often what is associated with calling someone out, and we'll get to that in a minute. But what I want to make sure we leave with is that there are some things that we do have a right to do, that we are called to do, and it's these things. Identify hypocrisy and harm, live out the gospel, and hold one another accountable as brothers and sisters. The truth is we love to point out hypocrisy. It's one of our favorite things to point out what someone else is doing wrong. Uh, I was I was going to use a political reference here, and I was thinking about uh, Sam Turnberg, if any of you know him. And I love Sam because he has no problem pointing out hypocrisy with the Democrats or hypocrisy with the Republicans because he's like, I'm a libertarian. I'll point at both of them. And it's true. He will. He'll even point at the libertarians and say they're hypocrites too. Ah. But for some of the others of us, it's a lot easier to point across the aisle, isn't it? To point out the hypocrisy on the other side than the people who are standing right next to you. And it's that that Paul warns us of. He says this in 1 Corinthians 5.12, he says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church for whom you are to judge? This comes right out of a section where Paul is urging the church to divide themselves from someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus but is living a life that seems to speak the opposite. He says there is a judgment to be made, and he talks about it starting in the church. And before we get there, really quickly, I want to highlight a moment. If, has anyone here watched Ted Lasso? There's a moment in that show where he quotes a quote misattributed to um, to to a poet. Uh, now I've spaced on the poet's name, but anyway, he says, "Be the the, the poet's um, quote is be curious, not judgmental." Uh, and in there, it, he gives the story of a reminder of the value of curiosity rather than judgmentalism. And so as we go in this sermon, I could go further and talk about that line, but keep that in the back of your head. Am I being curious? Am I being judgmental? We'll come back to that as we go. But for Paul in this moment, he reminds us, Hey, it's easy to point across the aisle, but we need to instead turn our attention back to the church. You know, there's a reason that one of the most thrown around verses, the most weaponized verses against Christians are the ones we reference. Let he who is out of sin cast the first stone or judge not lest ye be judged. It's because Christians have a a track record of really strong stances. We take some really strong stands and honestly, it's for good reason, right? The Bible teaches us to live a certain way. And so we stand up for that way of life because we believe what God leads us to is what is best for human thriving. It's what's best for us and it's what's best for the watching world, right? Are you guys with me at that? And so as Christians, we take these really, really strong stances about stuff because we believe it is for the best. The problem, however, that we encounter is when we expect the world to live up to the standards of the cross without the person of Jesus associated with them. We expect the world to live up to the way of Jesus without Jesus being a part of it. And we notice here in 1 Corinthians that Paul turns his attention first to the inside, into the church, rather than to the outside world. We call out what we see as a lack of justice in the world, which we should, but there is no fair metric, that of Christ, for us to judge them on. Too often I've had conversations with people who are not believers and we'll talk about the Bible and they'll say, what do I care what the Bible has to say? I don't believe. And Paul identifies that we're going to face problems if we're calling out sexuality and liberalism and excess, which we should call out, which are not good. But if we address them first on the outside rather than the inside, we're going to face some problems. Our words will ring hollow. If the things that we call out outside the church are present inside the church. That, my friends, is hypocrisy. And there is nothing that will quench our message faster than if the church is hypocritical. And so, here's what Paul says, do not judge. And when I say do not judge, I don't mean ever. I mean first, do some other things. So do not judge expecting the way of Jesus apart from the person of Jesus. Do not judge the way of Jesus apart from the person of Jesus, or at least be slow to do so. Be curious about why they are doing what they are doing, because we cannot just throw Bible verses at the outside world and expect them to conform, especially if we have not dealt with the same thing within our own midst. That's why we are called sometimes to judge outside the church. We do have to stand up for the oppressed, and I don't want anyone here to hear me saying that, that we shouldn't call out bad things in the outside world. Right, We are called to stand up for the oppressed and for the marginalized, for those who are harmed, for children. We are to defend the defenseless. We can't remain silent when a wrong is done in front of us. But we have to start here. We have to start at home. We cannot have a double standard. If we don't clean out the weeds from our own yard, it doesn't matter how often you pull out the weeds from your neighbor's yard. At some point, they're going to come back into your yard or they're going to keep spreading into your neighbor's yard because you haven't cleaned up your own yard. And your neighbor's going to be mad because your yard's a mess. You got to start with your yard first. And the challenge we're going to see is that we care a lot as Christians. And it's hard to clean up our own mess first because we see the mess everywhere. And we care. We especially care about kids. In Matthew chapter 5, or sorry, Matthew chapter 18, verse six, it says this, whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. We've talked about this verse before at ECC, but I highlight it here to show how much we care and how much Jesus cares about kids. There's a reason that Christians appear judgmental around topics like keeping kids safe because we care about kids. And I'm not telling any of you to stop caring about kids. I care about kids. I want to keep them safe and protect them. But we have to start here first. We have to show the watching world how much we care about kids by caring about kids so much more than them here in our midst before we leave these walls and try to change the world. It has to start at home. And so scripture urges us to start with ourselves. We have to start with the closest Christians. And so that's the second, do not judge. Do not start by judging the outside world. Do not even start by pointing to the church across town. Start with the closest Christians. Paul highlights a case for the Corinthian church, a case of immorality happening in their midst. And he says, deal with what is happening in your church. And as he does it, he highlights, man, there's, there's things you should divide over, like this case, and there's things you're gonna disagree about, like these talks about who you follow. And there's some you should disagree about, and there's some that you shouldn't. But later, in the second correspondence, in, in second Corinthians, Paul reminds this same church, this same group of people, that we are Christ's ambassadors, that God is making his appeal through us. And so, the way that we point at the outside world, and the way that we point across at other Christians, that impacts our message as well. Yes, we have a responsibility to call one another to the truth. But if the thing that the world sees most often is us infighting, is us bickering, then we're going to have a problem. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, Paul highlights, if you two Christians have an argument, settle it amongst yourselves. Is there no one wise enough to judge in your own group? Don't take it outside to the court. Because you, what, what business do they have settling what's happening in the church of God? And so we got to start at home. We got to start with the closest Christians before we begin pointing across the street or to the wider world. We will get at leaders and those who make these big things, but we have to start by judging properly. Pastor Chris, in his sermon on division, highlighted that there's three categories, right? They're the things we should be able to discuss that have different different uh, takes on and, and it doesn't matter all that much. He also highlighted there are moments where we need to defend that there are things that are important, like protecting our kids that really matter. And then he said, there are moments where we have to divide and we need to know well where to put those into practice. That is what judging is all about. And so what is it that Paul identifies? Where are the moments that we have to judge? What are the judge worthy moments? Well, it's this, it's that the standard for the church is higher. The standard for the church is higher than the outside world. We are supposed to be different. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says to the Corinthians, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans we'll get into the content of what he's talking about here, but it's enough to note that Paul is saying, Hey, if even the outside world doesn't tolerate it, if even the rest of the world, if even society says this is wrong and it's not something that Christ has told us to stand for, then why is it happening here? If the rest of society can say this isn't okay and it's happening in our church, that is not a representation of the cross. That is not a representation of Jesus. If we aren't doing better than the world that we're trying to reach, then we have a problem. And we have to start with those things at home. We have to start here. We have to do better, and Paul in this case is talking about sexual immorality, but we have to do better, not just there. We have to do it when it comes to money and integrity and caring for our kids and caring for the poor and honesty and power dynamics. No matter what the scenario, we as the church have to do better because we are Christ's ambassadors and he makes his appeal through us. When we neglect to care for our own garden, we can't expect to grow fruit outside our church. And that means we have to talk about it. That means that judgment has to happen within our church. We have to be able to talk to one another about what is wrong and how to make it right. It means putting into practice Matthew 5 and our bylaws, which highlight if you see something, talk to that person. Tell them the thing that they're doing that is not representing Christ. And if they don't listen, bring someone else, but continue to do it in a private setting. And if still they don't listen, that is what the church is for. That is why we have elders. That is why we have a church that can come around you and say, hey, we all see this. This isn't the way of Christ. Can we help you? And it's only after a situation like that that we begin to ask the question of, is this something that we have to divide over? We have to be better than the outside world. And if they say something's wrong, we can't abide it in our community unless it's something that Christ calls us to. And so the standard for the church is higher, but the standard for the church is also higher in specific areas. If there's obvious harm being done, that is not something we can just let go by. The standard for safety has to be higher as well. Even if it's something that somehow society is okay with, we have to be willing in the church to call it out. This is where we get in trouble a lot with society is where we call out things that we think are harmful with the world that they disagree on. And we will get to that. There are moments where we have to call society on those things, but we have no right to do it if we don't call it at home first. We have to have higher standards than the world when it comes to safety. You know, we can't protect our kids from everything that happens outside our doors, but we have to do it here. There's a reason we have really strict standards and practices when it comes to being a teen or a kid volunteer. It's because we have to keep our kids safe here. There's nothing that ruins our message faster than if people see, hey, you guys can't be trusted with kids. Why should we listen to you? But it's not just kids. This message goes beyond that. The church, ECC, Emmanuel needs to be a place where people are safe to be able to explore what God's message is, to explore what the way of Christ is. And that means that if someone is being harmed or if someone is harming someone else, that is something that we can't abide. We can't let slip. But it also means if you're harming yourself, we have a reason to have a conversation, to go up and say, hey, what you're doing is self-destructive. Please let us help. It's because the standard for safety is higher in the church. Cause we represent Christ in James five twenty It says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. If we can turn someone away from self harm or from harming someone else, it makes a host of difference. And so the standard for the church is higher in general. It is higher when it comes to safety. And then third, the standard is higher for leaders The standard is higher for leaders. James again says, not many of you should be teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. And that's for a reason. It's because if you have influence, then your mistakes are elevated. They're amplified and they cause more damage. You know, if Joe, the bank manager who attends ECC, who's a completely made up person, who any relation to this person is totally accidental, if you were to embezzle funds, it would be bad for the church, right? We don't want any Christian to do something wrong in any sphere, especially not the public sphere. If Pastor Bob, the pastor at Emmanuel, who's also a made up person with no relation to anyone, if he embezzles money, it's really bad for the church because the pastor, the spiritual leader has done this. And it's even worse if he used his power as a leader to harm others, to steal, or to hurt. The standard for leaders has to be higher because they can do more harm and their voice is louder. And trust me, I don't want to say this, right? I'm the kind of guy whose filter does not always catch his words before he says them. I can get myself in trouble. And I'm a leader. I'm a voice at this church. I don't want you watching me more carefully. I had to change my shirt before this because it wasn't right, right? I have trouble keeping up with all the rules. And yet I'm a representative, not just of VCC, but of Jesus Christ. And so I need you to keep me accountable as a leader. I need you to speak up and judge my behavior, my theology, my actions, and my words because I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. that is what the gospel demands. And so what do we do? How do we put this into practice? And I often find myself having to add a caveat in my messages cuz I get going and going and going and then I come to this point I'm like, whoa whoa whoa, slow down because what I'm not telling you to do is immediately at the end of this to, you know, turn off, close your computer and go find your uh someone in your house that you don't like what they're doing and be like, "See, Pastor Dan told me that you can't be doing this anymore." And ha! Like, no, 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 that's not what I'm calling us to do. Remember the conversation about curiosity versus judgmentalism? We have to enter into this and say, hey, aren't we together trying to pursue Jesus? Can I ask how what you're doing is representing Christ? Can we talk about this thing? Can we have a conversation around it and together try to find the way to make both of us more like Jesus? We just finished a series called After Yes, where we walked through our continuums. And if you haven't watched that, if you haven't engaged in that, go back and check that out. But maybe one way to do this, a way that's not judgmental, but is invitational, is to hold one another accountable to moving forward, to discovering a more transformational walk with Christ, to serving better, to reaching others better, to having a real thriving community and leaving a legacy that represents Jesus. It has to start here. And the truth is, it has to start with ourselves. Jesus says, get the log out of your own eye before you get the speck out of somebody else's. And so we have to start judging ourselves and listening to the criticism of others when it is brought in good faith. We have to we have to be willing to air our dirty laundry. And that means we need to let somebody else smell our dirty laundry. We can't just hide it behind closed doors. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke on Connection and I said that you have to find a space where you can be open and honest about your stuff. And that applies here as well. You know, if we don't, if no one knows what's going on, then we have a problem. Now, it's a problem if you wear your dirty laundry everywhere as well. Nobody needs to see all your stuff, right? But if you don't have a space in the church that is safe enough for you to say, hey, I'm struggling, or for someone to look at you and say, hey, man, what you're doing is not Christ-like, let us know, and we'll help you find that, because you need to have that. Pastor Chris talked about dividing until you're a church of just one, and a church of just one has trouble being called on anything. Becoming more like Jesus. Really quickly, you know, there are some things in my life that you have no business in. How I parent my kids, how me and my wife spend date night, what my finances look like, like it's none of your business. And yet if I hurt my kids, if my marriage is not representative of what Jesus calls us to, if I'm stealing or or I'm putting my family in a hole that's gonna harm this church that sure sounds more like it's the church's business, doesn't it? It sure sounds like it's something that I need my church to come around me and say, Dan, as a follower of Jesus, your marriage and the way you treat your kids and your finances, that, that matters. And so it's not your business until it is your business. That's where this is tricky and where the lines are harder and why we need to be curious together and together pursue what does it look like to follow Jesus and call one another to this higher standard. And so if you see something, don't be the awkward Minnesotan that doesn't talk about it or that talks about it to somebody else. We're better than that. We're not just Minnesotans. We're Jesus followers. So talk to them, call them out on it. Say, man, I don't even want to say this, but can we talk about, you have seven Teslas in your driveway. Why do you have all this? Maybe it's because they run a Tesla giveaway contest for, you know, poor people. That's great. Maybe there's a better way to help, but okay, it's great. But talk to it. Be curious. and Find out how together we can follow Jesus. Let's make a safe space where the way of Christ is what we aim for. we remove move all of us further along the continuum. In the end, candor is kindness. Speaking the truth in love is kindness. Calling one another to live out the gospel is kindness. Because when we see the things that are broken, we can take a step toward honesty, a step toward healthy judgment, and we can take our shortcomings and make them a strength through the power of God and the power of the gospel. We can see God in his strength show up in our weaknesses. Well, Today as we move into a time of communion, I have an invitation for you. As we begin to consider what Christ has done for us, I ask you to consider where do you need to speak up with humility? Where do you need to be curious with someone about where their actions are not representing Christ? Where do you need to do that with us as a church? Or where do you need to receive that judgment with humility? Where do you need to listen to someone who's been calling you on something and you don't want to hear it because it's none of their business? Where do you need to hear that? Maybe not from them, but from the Lord. You know, Jesus warns us in Matthew 5, he says, hey, if you're coming to the altar to offer your gift and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before you go to the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I think this challenge applies to us today as well. I think that the offer of reconciliation applies to this moment that whether you have something that needs to be said to someone else or you need to hear what they've been saying for a while, maybe this moment of communion was where you let God do that. And instead of focusing on what Christ has done for you in the act, instead of going to the altar and receiving communion, you let yourself go and have that conversation with that person and make this a better church that more represents Jesus Christ. maybe the best gift you can bring today is repentance of not speaking or not listening or judging unfairly or not receiving the judgment of God at all. Do you need to be reconciled with someone in some way? If so, don't wait. May today's communion be your opportunity. Pause the message and call them up. Leave this place tonight and seek them out. Because together we can be reconciled and better represent the cross. On the night, the Lord Jesus, when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, at Emmanuel, the only person that can keep you from the Lord's table is you. And so today, if you can faithfully pray these prayers and engage in what we're about to say, then we invite you to participate in communion. If you're joining us online to get your elements and to do this together. Whether it's to receive the Lord's forgiveness or his invitation to make this church Look more like him. May we do it together. And So let's prepare for this holy moment with these prayers that we often pray during this time. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts, which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. God, I confess that I am quick to judge those who are far enough from me that it has no impact on me. And I'm slow to talk to those who are near that would have a direct impact on my life. And yet, God, in in these verses, I've been challenged to speak up to better represent your cross myself, but also that we as a church, through these hard conversations, done with grace and curiosity by the power of your spirit, that we might better represent you. Lord, thank you that it's not about what we've done, but about what you've done that brings us together today and every day. And so, God, we stand united. We join in your presence together as we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven,